It's a bittersweet morning. <laughs> We're just going to look at what the Lord has to say this morning. Uh, I titled my teaching, Stretch It Out, or Being Made Whole. This morning we're going to look at four points. First, a withered hand. Second, a wicked plan. Third, a wonderful man. And fourth, a weighty command. First, we see in, verse, uh, in this first verse, verse 1, that this man had a withered hand. Okay. Uh, in Luke's Gospel, in, in uh, 6 6, Luke tells us that this man's withered hand was his right hand was paralyzed. It didn't function. It, mean, it means he could only use his left hand. Okay. That's important because, well, first, the right hand is a, is a place of power and acceptability. Okay. And we know in Acts 7.55, Jesus, we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Okay. But in that culture, the left hand okay, was considered unclean. Okay. So if all he could do is use that left hand, his right hand was withered, that meant that he was likely looked on as being cursed. He was rejected, constantly excluded from normal society. It means he couldn't shake hands with someone. He couldn't reach out and touch someone. He could never touch a child. Okay. That's the predicament. That's where this man was. That's what we're looking at today. The church historian Jerome says that this man was a plasterer before his hand became withered. Okay. So he couldn't make a living like he used to. And again, the people thought he must have done something wicked to, for this to happen to him. The question I want for us to look at this morning and for you to consider, uh, do we have parts of our lives that are paralyzed, that are withered? Parts of our lives that we wish would function like they used to, but they don't. They should function and they need to, but because of things besetting us, they're not. Things in our lives we just we know that just aren't right anymore. We're withered in some way, not unlike this man. That's why the truth in these verses, I believe, is for all of us. Secondly, I'd like us to look at the wicked plans of these men. Again, in verse 2 there in chapter 3, it says that they went to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, that they might accuse him. These Jesus' enemies, these men, were jealous, envious, determined to destroy him. But isn't it interesting that they knew something about him? They knew exactly where he'd be on the Sabbath. They knew he'd be in the synagogue, in church. Mark 2.1 tells us that immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. I love this in Luke 4.16. As was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, he, every chance, he, every opportunity he had on the Sabbath, he was there among his people in the synagogue. Question, why? Did Jesus have to go there to confess sin? Did he have to go there to learn the word, to hear scripture, to learn it? Now, if anybody could say, I don't need it, it would be Jesus. But he was there for a real specific reason. I believe it, it spells it out in Luke chapter, I mean, excuse me, Hebrews 10.24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Okay. I, want to, I think we need to be challenged by this today. When you come to church, you come not only expecting to hear the word, anticipating the word, not only coming to hear the blessed worship we've been having, 
But do you come with the idea that, you know what? Lord, if you give me a chance, I can encourage someone. Okay? If you give me a chance, I can come along some, alongside a brother or sister in the Lord. I get to be with family. Okay? You know what? Family's sometimes messy, <laughs> but it's always good. Okay? And so you have that opportunity. And I believe here, as we see this, he was among his people. He met them there. Now, I don't believe he came to meet with folks that are there because of habit, okay? or there because it's a social event. Okay? He came to meet folks that came to the synagogue in order to hear God's word and to meet with God. Okay? The Lord always meets us if that's the condition. He always does. Now, question for you. Do people know where you're going to be on Sundays? The people that know you know on Sundays, they count on it. You're going to be in church. Even if they try and make arrangements with you, oh, well, let's get together after you go to church. Okay. They know that's your habit. Not just habit, it's what's ingrained in you. They know, they know that it's important to you. Okay. Even more than that, do they know when you have trials, when you have struggles, when they know that you're going through something, do they know that you're going to be with family Seeking the Father. If they know that about you, that's awesome. But also, what a witness to them. What a witness. Okay, they also knew, they knew where he'd be, but they also knew what he would do. They knew that on the Sabbath, he'd be there, even though it was against their rules, he knew that wouldn't stop them. Okay. They knew that he was going to heal this man. Okay. Their rules said, if somebody's dying, you can save them, but if somebody's hurt, you can't fix them. In other words, if you were in an accident and they said, okay, you're going to survive till tomorrow, bye. Okay, we'll come back tomorrow and see you. Okay. Now that's maybe an exaggeration, but in essence it wasn't. That's where these, these, these men were. Okay. And it was based on their own rules, not on scripture, on their tradition. As I was looking at this, it amazed me that, and this is sad, but sometimes it seems like the enemies of the Lord know him better than his own family and friends. Okay. Do you realize that? Okay. You remember, after Jesus died and they placed him in the tomb, what was it that the Pharisees and religious leaders did? They went to Pilate and said, you know what? This imposter, this man said, in three days I'm going to rise. So put a guard on the tomb to make sure he doesn't do that. The disciples had no clue what was going to happen. But these men that were the enemies... They expected something like this to happen. Okay. We need to make sure we're not caught in that place. This is how you make sure that you know what Jesus is going to do and what his plans are. They knew Jesus would heal them, so they came to church. They came to meet him there. But notice they didn't come to worship. They didn't come to hear God's word. They didn't come to be fruitful. Instead, they came to be fault-finding, what I call sin-sniffing, and critical, cynical. Okay. That was what was in their heart. Okay. Especially today, as this is my last day, I've got to share this with you. I am so glad that this church family is not like that. Okay. I've never experienced that here. Okay. I haven't. I've been in churches where that's not the case. I've been in churches where people are critical of the pastor, always wanting to comment, always wanting to argue a point, okay? 
not, normally not to him, but among themselves. Okay? Critical of the worship, critical of other believers in the body. Okay? And when that happens, all it produces is bitterness, mistrust, and no room for love. But I am, and I mean this from my heart, I'm so thankful that's not the case in this body. Okay? I'm glad that's not the case. And that same critical, prideful spirit that was in these men, okay, remember in verse 6, it says, they went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. That was a critical spirit that they had. Okay? We've got to be careful we don't have that spirit. Please see this. These men were in worse shape than the man that they had no compassion for. Okay? They were more withered and paralyzed than even he was, but they didn't know it, which made it even worse for them. They didn't know how, what, bad, what their state. They didn't know how bad things really were for them. Secondly, they expected Jesus to heal them. You realize that by these verses. We know that. He said, he's going to be there like he always is, and he's going to see this man, he's going to heal him. So then we can find a reason to accuse him. They expected Jesus to heal him. So by their actions, they admitted that Jesus had the power to do miracles and a love for people that would cause him to heal. So what did it do for them? Not a thing. It only made them more critical. Their knowledge didn't draw them to Jesus. We've got to be careful. When we, we don't look to things as, oh, an event, okay, isn't it neat that that's going on, okay? In this day, day and time, Jesus knew that the people were there because of the miracles, not because of him, not because of who he was, just to see what he could do. I'm going to use an analogy here. Uh, if these men, I'm showing what these men would be like if they were here today. Now, if Greg all of a sudden stood up, turned around, and said, God's just anointing me. His Holy Spirit is telling me to put my hands out and fly. All of a sudden, he took off flying. Okay. Uh, you'd, be, you'd be following me out that door probably. No. <laughs> no. Obviously, that's, that's, an ex, that's a stretched example. But on a serious note, if he did get up and say, you know what, God is telling me I need to be ready and willing to think that that can happen. And if God did lift him up, you know, if these men were here, you know what they'd say? Oh, that's great, but does he have a pilot's license? Okay. <laughs> Seriously, that's the kind of critical spirit they had. Okay? And they viewed things that wasn't, what a blessing. It's like, well, it doesn't fit our, our thoughts on how it should go down. Okay? Doesn't happen. Okay? First, the third point I want to look at, the wonderful man. Jesus, our hero, our friend, our Savior, our Lord, the love of our life. Please see this. He walks into church. Where do his eyes and hearts go first? Straight to this man, this needy man. To the withered man, the, people, the man that people probably stayed away from, considered a sinner. In fact, to them, most of them, he was probably invisible. He was he, his heart went straight to that man. He fixed his eyes on that man that needed the loving touch. No doubt this man thought he was the biggest, worst sinner. Okay. He fixed his eyes on him. Okay. He's the one who Jesus chose to minister to, to love on, and to be with that day. 
You know what that should do for us? That should give us hope, folks. That should bless us. That should. Maybe you feel like the biggest loser here. Maybe you feel like you're withered, shriveled up, no longer the person you used to be that you should be, caught up in things you shouldn't be doing, spiritually flat. Your life's a mess. Looks okay on the outside, but on the inside, on the hidden side, it's a mess. You feel defeated. Well, there's good news, folks, because you're the person that Jesus gravitates to. You're the, peace, the person who Jesus pours his compassion on first. He had a far greater response to this man, this withered man, man with the withered hand, than the religious leaders did. And that brings me awesome hope, guys. Honestly, because today I feel like I'm the biggest sinner here. Maybe you feel that way too. Okay. Uh, not about me, but about yourselves. Okay. <laughs> uh, <our laughs> Maybe Greg's saying, no, I think about you. Um, (laughs) But when you feel down, defeated, condemned, please know this. In Mark 2.17, we looked at this previously in another teaching. Um, Those who who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's our Jesus, our, that wonderful man, our Lord and friend Jesus. His heart is always moved by the saint whose heart is broken. Again, his heart is always moved by the saint whose heart is broken. If that's you today, brokenhearted over paralyzing sin, be encouraged, be hopeful. Be blessed, because Jesus cares. Imagine now, Jesus, the warmth in his eyes, a smile on his face, addressing this man everyone else would rather forget. He says, stand up. Come here. Imagine what this man may have thought. Okay? Great, the new preacher in town is going to do a target preaching, and I'm the target. <laughs> uh, but I believe something else happened because of his actions. I believe he saw something in Jesus. Something he heard in that command and saw him in him. It was love. So he took a chance, stood up. He chose to obey Jesus on this. Then Jesus turned to them and said, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or to kill? He says they were silent. Two questions I had a long time ago when I first read this passage. Okay. Why did he ask him to stand? And second, what did he mean by do harm or do evil. Okay. I believe he was doing something very simple. He was bringing their sin into the light right before their cold eyes and cold heart. They had no concern for this man. For them, he was just a pawn, okay. just a chess piece to them in their evil game. Okay. But I believe he was standing him up for a reason. He was saying, look at this man. Okay. Not only for the religious leaders, but I think for the ordinary folks too the regular folks, because they may not have been innocent on that. And on that, I would say to us, shame on us if we ever find ourselves in a place where we reject people thinking that they're an outcast. Somebody walks through those doors, and maybe they're not a person you normally wouldn't associate with. (laughs) Maybe they're the person who you think, oh, they must have just came from the corner, you know, with the sign out, okay? Maybe they're homeless, 
or maybe they're a person who you walk over and they walk past you and you said, oh, they must have been chain smoking for the past week. Okay. Whatever the case would be, okay, if you sit in judgment of them, if you, if you sit and think, okay, you know what, I'm going to step over this way a little bit. Are people who don't even have that outside appearance, but maybe it's somebody that you know in the church. And you see him walking towards you after service, and you grab somebody and say, quick, talk to me. Because they're walking this way, and if they want to talk to me, they're going to tell me about all the things that are going on, and I'll be here half an hour, and I've heard them all before, so I don't want to do this again. Okay? Shame on us if we ever find ourselves in that place. Shame on us. Okay. He challenges them. Okay. Is it lawful to do good, save a life, or to kill? Now, in Mark 3, 6, we see, we see the Herodians were plotting how to destroy him. Okay. Here he is wanting to save, and he's saying, is it, is it okay to do good or to kill? Because he knew what was in their hearts. They had murder in their hearts, folks. They had such evil, such judgmental spirits so wicked that they had murder in their hearts. So he was giving them a clear difference, an example. This is you guys, and this is me. This is what you should be doing. I like it. This is, it's impressive in Luke 6, 11, Okay, It says that they were filled with fury and disgust what they might do to Jesus. Filled with fury. Look at those, think of those words. Okay? The anger that was in their hearts. Why? Because he had the audacity to heal somebody, okay? <laughs> to have compassion on somebody. Okay? But he was also teaching them something else. It's this. If you have a chance to do good, to save a life, to encourage someone, okay? to help someone be healed, and you don't do it, that's sin. That's evil. Okay? James 4.17 tells us, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him... It is sin. Okay. Again, be encouraged. Okay. When you have that opportunity, don't say, oh, somebody else will talk to him. Somebody else will do that. No, if God's putting it on your heart and showing you something, you need to respond. Okay. I'm going to take a side note here for a minute because I went and used the little boy's room as, during worship. Uh, and I was washing my hands, and there was a brother in there from one of the other churches. And I've said hi to him. I've seen him. Never, talk, never talked to him, but said, beyond saying hi. And he said, you know what, could you do me a favor? I said, I know you don't know me, but could you pray for my family? It's like, wow. Okay. I said, sure. We walked out in the, yeah, outside, put my arm on his shoulder and asked him his name. Okay. Didn't, know the, didn't have to know the details. I just, the Lord, you know, put on my heart, pray for him. And I had an opportunity to pray for him. Got his name now, I told him, I'm leaving, but I'm going to be keep praying for you. Okay? And it took comfort to me. It was a blessing to know that Jesus knows exactly what he's going through. Okay? And I was actually able to give him some of the verses that I had here today, and he just thanked me. And he said, thank you. Like, I'm glad I asked you. And I said, I'm glad God put it on your heart and gave me the opportunity. Okay? But we need to be ready for those times, okay? for those moments. Because God gives them to us, not because we deserve it, okay? but God loves us and he wants to bless us as he's blessing someone else. Okay? Again, he looked around them with anger in verse 5, grieving, grieved at the hardness of heart. Okay? 
Now please understand this. Jesus is never angry at sinners seeking forgiveness. Okay? Never. He's angry at these folks, angry at the hardness of their heart, but he's never angry at sinners seeking forgiveness. Only those who have put their traditions, their religious ways, their religion in the way of people seeking him. Okay? That's what brought anger to him. Okay? Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Okay? Notice he didn't say, you know what, I've got to ask you something. You know, I'm amazed at how you, how you function, but how do you tie your shoes with one hand? Okay? Or he didn't say, how do you put a shirt on? Okay? Or how do you cut your meat up when you're eating? All those would have been legitimate questions, but he didn't go there. Why? Because he wouldn't benefit this man in any way. Wouldn't benefit him. Okay. He places attention on the man's greatest need, squarely on the place of his impotence, on the blight area of his life. Okay. And he said, okay, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? See, Jesus does that for us. Okay. He cuts to the chase. Okay. He doesn't take time to say, well, how are you feeling about that? No, he said, you need to do this. This is what you need to change in your life. This is what I have for you. Okay. Stretch out your hand. Okay. Imagine the man being here. Withered hand. Stretch out your hand. If it had been me, I probably would have done. Okay. <laughs> but it doesn't say he did that. Okay. Again, there's something in Jesus' face and his voice that moved this man. To hear the word and to choose to obey. That brings us to our fourth and final point. A weighty, heavy command. Weighty. W-E-I-G-H-T-Y. Okay. Weighty command. Don't miss this. When Jesus said that, it seemed to be an impossible command. Impossible. But we see, even though he could argue against it, close his heart and his mind to it, he heard it, and he responded. He obeyed. He acted on it. He heard the weighty command from this wonderful man. And, check this out, folks. As he started to stretch that hand out, as he did, he was made whole by the Lord. He was healed. As he chose to obey, he was able to do what the Lord commanded him to do. Are you seeing that? Okay. This is what I'm... <laughs> please, take this with you today. As he responded... As he chose to obey, that's when the healing came. Take this root. Let, please, let this take root in your hearts, learn it, and know it. The command of the Lord contained power from the Lord. God's commands are God's enablements, God's empowerments. The power is in the word that's heard and the word that's heeded. When I hear the word and I do the word, I'll be able to do what it tells me to do miraculously. Okay. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is, check this out, living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God can cut straight to where we need a healing touch and say, do this. And if we obey, God will respond. God will bring healing. He will. See, this isn't just a book we pull out on Sundays okay, to bring the church with us. Okay? And if you didn't know this, it's not a self-help book either. Okay? 
It contains God's commandments, his instructions, and it carries his power. It carries his power. Remember the story in Luke chapter 1. The angel came to Mary and said, don't be afraid, Mary, you found favor with God. Okay? You're going to bear a child, okay? and he's gonna be, his name is going to be Jesus. He's going to be the Savior. And she said, well, how can this be since I'm a virgin? His response in verse 37 of Luke 1, for nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into this because I don't want you to have to try and follow me on it, but there's two words here, two Greek words, rima for the word, and there's an alpha prefix in front of it, so it's, it's translated no word, and deutimus, which is a derivative of power. Okay? That's where we get the word dynamite. So in essence, what you could say this, how you could interpret what this man was, what the angel was saying here was, no word will be without power. Okay? No word will be without power. Okay? She said, how can this be? And he said, no word will be without power. And she understood that. Because in verse 38, Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be me, let it be to me according to to your word, okay? I believe it's going to happen because your word said it's going to happen. Okay? The word of God is the power of God. So when the Bible tells us, as it does in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ, as God and Christ forgave you. Okay? We can be in this place where we're paralyzed. Okay? We can say, no way I can forgive them. Or be kind to them, okay? Uh, not the way they treated me, okay? I'm mad and I deserve to be mad, okay? I want to be mad. It's impossible not to be mad. When that happens, God can say, okay, you can choose to stay in your dry, withered, paralyzed, handicapped place if you want to. Or you can say to the Lord, you tell me I'm supposed to be kind, Lord, tenderhearted, forgiving. So when I see those folks, I had a problem with. I'm, when you give me the chance to do it, I'm going to be kind, gentle, forgiving them. Okay. It's always a choice to make, but when you do, okay, the healing comes. Okay. When you say, I can't, you won't. But when you say, okay, Lord, in obedience, I'm going to step out and do this, God will enable you. God will enable you. Well, I start to do what the Lord tells me to do. Even though I think it can't be done, God meets me in the act and empowers me to be able to do it. In Joshua, Joshua in chapter 3, okay, God told Joshua, take the people down to the Jordan. Okay, when you get there, you have the priests that are carrying the ark. Have them set foot in the Jordan. Now, the verses tell us the Jordan was rushing mightily. It was overflowing its banks. If I'd been one of those priests, I might have said, well, wait a minute, in the Red Sea, you parted it first, okay? How come I've got to step into this, okay, with the water rushing like that? I'm carrying the ark, okay? What, you know, if, if, if I lose this ark, boy, I'm in trouble, or if it falls and I try and grab it, I'm dead, <laughs> okay? And, and they could have said, well, you know what? This ark is important. Ask that biblical historian, Indiana Jones, he'll tell you. Okay, throwback, guys. 
But the Lord required them to place the soles of their feet in the water first. Then he would part it. God does that for us, guys. He said, step out in faith and obedience. Even when it's, you can't see it working. Okay? Even when it seems impossible. Because when you do, he'll meet you in the act of doing it. If we do what he tells us to do. We know because in this story, that's exactly what they did. Set foot in it. It says the waters were held up like a heap, which means they just all, it just formed up. It was dry beyond that, and they walked across. In fact, when they got across, he said, take 12 men, grab stones, put a monument there so people in the future, my people will remember what I did for you here. Okay? Because they stepped out in faith. Stepped out in faith. John, chapter 5, verse 2. In Jerusalem, okay, Jesus is walking and he comes to a pool. And it's the pool is named Bethsaida. Okay? Around it are all these people that are, that are hurt, okay? that are paralyzed, that are sick, that have needs. Okay? And he focuses his eyes on one man. It says in verse 5 of five, uh, chapter 5, John, it says, the man who had been ill for 38 years. 38 years this man was in this position, paralyzed. And what does Jesus do? Do you wish to get well? Do you wish to get well? Look at what the man said. Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. While I am coming, another steps down before me. I don't know about you, but if I had been in that place for that long, okay, and Jesus said, do you want to get well? (laughs) I think I would have had a different response, but... We don't know until we're there. Okay. But his response wasn't, yet, wasn't yes. Instead, he gave excuses. Do we ever do that? We do, don't we? We give the Lord excuses why we're withered and lame. They don't love my spouse anymore because, you know what, they don't understand me. Okay? They don't love me. Okay? They're, you know, we're just not close anymore. Okay? We're arguing all the time, so I don't love them anymore. Okay? I can't give up that habit, that addiction is just too strong. I can't forgive, they hurt me too bad. That's why I'm still lame. I looked at that person or those folks for help. No one was there to help me, it's not my fault. Check it out. It was Jesus there, right there in front of him, asking him, do you want to be healed? Jesus, the great physician, our redeemer, our friend, Asking him, do you want to be healed? A challenge for us, do we ever forget that Jesus is standing there next to us? I believe we do. I believe sometimes when we're facing those things, our mind goes to, okay, I gotta, you know, I gotta share this with somebody. Okay. Or, you know, I gotta find an answer for this. Okay. I gotta, you know, pull out this self help book. I got to turn on Oprah and listen to her, <laughs> or Dr. Phil. You know, we sometimes look at all the wrong places, realizing that the Lord is right there saying, I'm here, I'm here. Notice Jesus didn't even comment or acknowledge those excuses. Okay? Um, please see this. Jesus' interest wasn't in his excuses. His interest was in his healing. His concern was in his freedom. Jesus said, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Now, 
If you look at this, you can realize this man could have been angry and said, real cute, Rabbi. Okay. Uh, you really think you're funny, don't you? Okay. I've been here 38 years. You, know, you think I would have got up before if I could have? Okay. Once again, we don't see this man doing this. We, rec- we see him recognize that Jesus is the real deal, folks. He chose to believe the word he heard from the Lord. As he began to try and stand against all logic, the power of the Lord took over and he was able to stand. It says in verse 9, immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. That's what we see. That's what we see Jesus being able to do. That day his life was changed forever. Why? Because he, he knew something. That Jesus said, do it, and he obeyed. See, God's commands are God's enablements. But understand this. It's got to be in partnership. God commands, we obey. If you're taking notes, please jot this down. This is something that's blessed me for a long time. Remember, without him, I can't. Without me, he won't. Without him, I can't. Without me, he won't. God wants to be in partnership with you and me. God gives the word, there's power in the word, but we need to step out in faith and do the word, even when we don't see how it can work. We can use all excuses, or we can be thankful and have joy and peace. You can tell God, the lust too powerful, all these things are just in the way. Or you can... Hear what God says, believe what God says, and choose to obey what God says. Now, Mike, I've tried to do that. I've tried to give it to the Lord. Okay, I have these problems, and I tried to give it to God, but I failed. How is it that you stretch forth that withered hand? How is it really done? Three words for you, folks. God has said. God has said, James 4, 7, resist the devil, he will flee from you. God has said, Galatians 5, 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. God has said, John 14, 27, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. God has said, John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. How do you do it? You keep your eyes on Jesus. You guide your mind and your heart by hearing his word, knowing and obeying his word. Because you can't have victory in your own strength, folks. It doesn't happen. Faith disregards apparent impossibilities where there is a command and promise from God. I repeat that. Faith disregards apparent impossibilities where there is a command and promise from God. You hear the word? And you do what the word says. John 13, 7. If you know these things, blessed are you, what? If you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. If you choose to obey. Stretch out that withered hand, step into those raging waters, get up and walk. Now, my duty before the Lord is to give you the word of God, okay? But my duty is also to tell you this. Um, Because we've looked at these verses, uh, we don't have excuses. Guys, we don't have an excuse anymore. We don't. 
No excuses for depression, fear, sadness. Philippians 4.4 tells, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. No excuses for addictions, frustrations, bondages, bitterness, anger. None of those things. Why? Because John 8.31 tells us, if you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth and what? And the truth will set you free. I love this this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful who will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You guys remember the earthquake, right? It wasn't that long ago. After the earthquake, I saw a couple of public service announcements, and they said, you know, people have to have an emergency plan. Okay? Even an escape plan, it's good to have that. Well, this is our emergency plan. This is our escape plan. Okay? This is it. This is how you can escape those things. This is where we go. Our book, our Bible, the Word of God is our escape plan. Another bit of good news, Romans 8.37 says, Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. Good news We don't have to be victims, guys. We don't have to be. See, the Lord walks into our situations, into our trials, with no condemnation. He sees our withered conditions, says, stand up, stretch out your hand, just do it. And as we obey the command, it contains the power, God's power, God's enablement. One last thought. These evil men knew Jesus would be in church that day. You know what else they knew? They knew this man would be there too. Okay? They knew this man, this outcast, no doubt lonely man, would be in church seeking God, just like us today. It should be an encouragement to you. Okay? It should be. Okay. Finally, today, I'm going to end with this. Today is the day we can be set free from pain, from paralysis. Why? Because Jesus promised it, and no word of God is without power. No word of God is without power. Okay. I'm going to challenge the whole body on a couple things. First, okay, if you're here today and you never recognized or never acknowledged and never said yes to the invitation of eternal life from Jesus, I'm going to let you know that it's available. Not only does Jesus want to fix those things that are paralyzed in us, he wants to give us a whole new life. He wants to give us a future and a hope. That only comes from him. I want to encourage you, if you've never done that, please, please, come and see Pastor Greg or me. We'll pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up in front of everybody. I'm going to let you know But you have to step out. If God is putting that on your heart, you have to step out and come and see us. Come and express that to us. Secondly, I am going to ask this. I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes for a moment. And I'm going to ask you, if there's an area in your life that you know you need a touch from the Lord, an area in your life that you need that's it's in trouble, okay, that needs a touch, okay? 
no matter what it is, okay? I'd like you to just raise your hand and we can pray for each other, okay? Just, yeah. Just, again, when I'm not talking about deep, dark sin, I'm talking about anything that may be in your heart that you know you need to touch from. Maybe it's just resentment that you have for somebody, anger with somebody, okay? Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's fear, okay? Whatever it is, please, again, all eyes closed. I just want, raise your hand and I, we will pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is powerful, Lord, that your word heals, that your word restores. And for those who have raised their hands, who have just acknowledged that they have an area that they just need your help with, Lord. We know that you are more than capable of providing that way of escape, that healing touch. So help us on a daily basis, Lord, to remember that you're standing there, not only right next to us, you're in our hearts, telling us, I can fix this. Lord, help us to be found, to be hearing your word and be obedient to it. And help us to be able to pick up your word and know your word so that we can know what your promises are when those things come against us. We can go and we can say, God has said, and we can have power and victory over those areas. So in all these things, we acknowledge you and we thank you. And we offer these things in your name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.